Welcome to the Wilfred Podcast. Here, you'll expand your knowledge and understanding on a wide range of business, entrepreneurial, and self-development skills in just 30 minutes or less. I'm your host, Grant Kitchingman. Introducing the Wilfred Podcast. yet another episode of Wilfred, what I learned from reading an educational discourse. Thanks so much for joining me yet again for the fourth episode of season two. Simon Sinek is a British-born American author and inspirational speaker. He's the author of five books, including Start With Why, covered in episode six of season one, as well as this week's book, Leaders Eat Last, Why Some Teams Pull Together and Others Don't. What follows is a summary of what I have learned from reading it. For reference, Leaders Eat Last received 4.6 stars on Amazon.com and 4.1 stars on Goodreads, being received positively overall. In his work with various organizations and companies around the world, Sinek noted that some teams trusted each other so much that they would put their lives on the line for their peers, while other workplaces were full of bickering, negative and underperforming staff. Why? The answer became clear during a conversation with Marine Corps General. Officers eat last, he said. What's symbolic in the chow hall is deadly serious on the battlefield. Great leaders sacrifice their own comfort, even their own survival, for the good of those in their care. This book investigates this idea in great detail, exploring the qualities of true leadership and attributes of effective leaders. The ideas shared by the author, which resonated with me most strongly, have been grouped into three main topics of my choosing. These include Part 1, Leadership, Part 2, Chemicals, and Part 3, Empowerment. You will notice that I use direct quotes, building on these using my own experiences or giving my own interpretations. I will also note that the direct quotes I provide remain the property of the author, and I do not claim ownership of any of their writings or ideas. It was difficult to summarize the notes I had taken throughout this process. As such, I would very much recommend buying a copy yourself so you do not miss out on anything I may have overlooked in my summary. Without further ado, let's jump into the content. Part one, leadership. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Nature versus nurture, born or raised, talent versus skill. There are various terms for the same basic theory, which may be universally applied to sports, entrepreneurialism, or leadership. Are leaders born to lead? Or have they refined the necessary skills and attributes to become strong leaders over the many years? Well, the former isn't a new or overly inspired idea on my part. In fact, this is a theory which has been coined great man theory. This theory stipulates that great leaders are born with the necessary internal characteristics such as charisma, confidence, intelligence, and social skills that make them natural-born leaders. Certain people come to mind, such as Barack Obama, Malcolm X, Abraham Lincoln, or Gandhi. Sinek touches on this somewhat unknowingly, writing, Professional competence is not enough to be a good leader. Good leaders must truly care 
about those entrusted in their care. Leadership is also a matter of character, not just strength, intelligence, or achievement. A caring nature may be learned. However, someone with a more caring, nurturing demeanor will certainly find this easier. As stipulated, great men theory assumes that the capacity for leadership is inherent, being that great leaders are born, not made. However, this theory also stipulates that leadership cannot be taught or learned. You either have the necessary skills or characteristics, or you don't. You are either born with them, or you are not. My personal favorite leadership theory is that of contingency. This theory specifies that truly effective leadership is not just about the qualities or characteristics of the leader, but rather striking the right balance between behavior, context, and need. White and Hodgson, 2003. Jill, 2011, also posits that there are multiple variables which influence the effectiveness of leadership. These include maturity of subordinates, positive relationships, clarity of the task, culture of the organization, amount of time for, and therefore the speed at which the task must be completed. More simply, this theory postulates that effective leadership is also directly affected and influenced by environmental factors, which are often overlooked by the person in charge. Simon writes, leadership is about taking responsibility for lives and not numbers. Managers look after our numbers and our results, and leaders look after us. There are smart executives running companies and managing systems, but there seems to be a distinct lack of strong leaders to lead people. Lastly, the transformational theory suggests the relationship between the leader and their subordinates is the most vital component of a thriving business or organization. Motivation and inspiration are the main methods utilized by transformational leaders. They focus on ensuring that group members see and understand the importance and higher good of the task. Everyone in the organization understands their why. Sound familiar? For this reason, I believe that Simon Sinek is a transformational pragmatist. His most popular book, Start With Why, encourages aspiring leaders to adhere to this principle. Sorry if I'm misappropriating your ideals, Simon, if you're listening. Let's be honest, you probably aren't listening. Leaders with this style often have high ethical and moral standards. They also focus on the performance of group members, but also want every person to fulfill their potential. Additionally, trust remains at the forefront of their focus and at the core of their business or enterprise. Simon has much to say about trust, writing, leadership is about integrity, honesty, and accountability, all components of trust. To earn the trust of people, the leaders of an organization must first treat them like people. To earn trust, he must extend trust. When you have people who trust you, they're going to do a better job for you to earn or keep that trust. Quote, Leaders are the ones who are willing to give up something of their own for us, their time, their energy, their money, maybe even the food off their plate. When it matters, they choose to eat last. These words are true in all workplaces, yet many times the leaders of the organization do not reflect this. One workplace in which this is reflected, however, is the military. The senior ranks within the Australian military choose to eat last at the mess or outfield, allowing their subordinates to eat first. This is because they understand that their subordinates are the ones who train the hardest and, when the time comes, these men will be the first to be sent out into the fray. As a side note, keep in mind that, despite the fact that I have indeed previously served with the Australian Army, 
my opinions may not reflect those of the Australian Defence Force. As Simon writes, the cost of leadership is self-interest. Lieutenant General George Flynn. I will end this section with a hasty inclusion, but one of essential importance. Throughout my professional career, I have continuously pondered the significance of leaders being present. Leaders who hide away in their office, those who only reveal themselves to criticise, complain or chastise, they are the worst kinds of leaders, and do not deserve to be addressed as such. These individuals are managers, not leaders, and poor managers at that. Even managers understand the importance of encouragement and appreciation, but only leaders mingle with their people. Simon writes, Social interaction is also important for the leaders of an organisation. Roaming the halls of their office and engaging with people beyond meetings really matters. All leaders, in order to truly lead, need to walk the halls and spend time with the people they serve. To conclude this part, a message to those who head a company, business or group. You cannot be a leader without spending time with your subordinates. You cannot build trust amongst your people without getting to know them. And you cannot get to know them without spending time with them. In this sense, it's inherently circular. And the circle starts with you leaving your office. Part 2 chemicals. Hormones get no respect. We think of them as elusive chemicals that make us a bit moody. But these magical little molecules do so much more. Susanna Cahalan. Hormones are your body's chemical messengers. Once released by glands into your bloodstream, they act on various organs and tissues to control everything from the way your body functions to how you feel. Watson, 2021. If we are to truly understand how to lead people, we must first also understand how people think and what motivates them. This said, I'm sure it goes without saying that we must therefore understand the brain and the chemicals which affect it, as well as the rest of your body. This section will explore these chemicals, often described as the feel-good hormones. Dopamine, endorphins, serotonin and oxytocin will each be discussed. First, Simon states that dopamine is the reason for the feel-good feeling we get when we find something we're looking for or do something that needs to get done. I call this hormone the completionism hormone. It's very enjoyable to tick something off your to-do list or to find your car keys in the nick of time to avoid being late. This is thanks to dopamine. Simon states further, endorphins and dopamine are the reason that we are driven to hunt, gather and achieve. These are the chemicals of progress. These chemicals drive our motivation, dedication and work ethic in professional environments and when understood and harnessed effectively can produce numerous beneficial effects. More on endorphins, Sinek writes, endorphins serve one purpose and one purpose only, to mask physical pain. Laughing actually releases endorphins. They are released to mask the pain we're causing ourselves as our organs are being convulsed. This gives creed to the notion that laughter is the best medicine as this lovely little chemical results in the aforementioned effect. Next, Simon speaks to serotonin. It is because of serotonin that we can't feel a sense of accountability to numbers. We can only feel accountable to people. Last of the feel-good chemicals is that of oxytocin, which is responsible for the feeling of friendship, love or deep trust. It is responsible for all the warm and fuzzies, as Simon states. 
Yeah, I won't expand too much on that point, as I've talked about this in part one, and I don't want to bore you to tears. However, I will discuss the other side of the coin, the charred side, which is visible when Two-Face flips his coin in the air in quiet contemplation. In this clumsy simile, I'm introducing Cortisol, the killer of dreams and the crusher of souls. Sinek asserts, Cortisol is responsible for the stress and anxiety we experience. It is the first level of our fight or flight response. Animals have this too, but how do humans differ from the beasts? Well, in many ways, one of which being our brain. Humans have sophisticated neocortices, the part of the brain responsible for language, as well as rational, analytical and abstract thought. So then, to summarise, dopamine ensures that it feels good to make progress, and so we do. Serotonin is responsible for the pride we feel when those we care for achieve great things, and oxytocin helps us form bonds of love and trust. Slightly unrelated to chemicals, yet related to the brain, Sinek also mentions that, according to brain researchers, true multitasking does not actually exist. Rather, what we are doing is mental juggling or rapid toggling between tasks. In other words, we aren't doing two things at once. We are merely switching back and forth between things. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. Perhaps you believe that you're a good multitasker and power to you. But I'm here to say that perhaps, considering the empirical evidence, maybe you should reconsider your self-proclaimed efficacy. Sinek states that, according to the American Psychological Association, Shifting between tasks can cost as much as 40% of someone's productive time. When a worker is interrupted, it takes them around 23 minutes to return to their original task. The evidence is indisputable. Those who think they are more productive because they are better at multitasking are just wrong. What they are better at is being distracted. Part 3 Empowerment the goal of the leader is to give no orders. Leaders are to provide direction and intent and allow others to figure out what to do and how to get there. Captain Marquet. We've all had that boss. The one that loves to delegate tasks out of laziness rather than efficiency of effort. The one who loves to micromanage once a task is delegated and control your every move. The one who complains about a lack of independence amongst their staff despite this controlling demeanor. The one who demands trust, despite not extending that trust to their leadership team or their lowly subordinates. Sorry to lay it on thick, but hopefully for most of you, I've hit a nerve of some sort and you can empathize. It's sad to say that there are far more workplaces out there which fit this description rather than contradict it. Maybe I'm speaking somewhat subjectively, but I have certainly heard similar descriptions from others when detailing their place of work. Of course, the goal of the leader is to promote empowerment. Workers will then feel safe, respected and appreciated. You will therefore create a workplace full of trustworthy, self-motivated, self-reliant staff. This is of course the ultimate aim, which is mutually beneficial for all parties. Simon states, if the company treated their employees like family, their employees would reciprocate with trust and loyalty. Customers will never love a company until the employees love it first. Let's talk about more of these qualities next. Certain workplaces or organizations may have a specific set of behaviors or qualities they value above all else when it comes to the individuals they employ. 
For example, the Australian Defence Force calls for service, courage, respect, integrity and excellence. While the Australian Federal Police called for integrity, commitment, excellence, accountability, fairness, trust and respect. These values reflect most of which Simon mentions in his book, naming responsibility, integrity, trust and cooperation. He describes each value as follows. Responsibility is not doing what you're told. That's obedience. Responsibility is doing what's right. Integrity is when our words and deeds are consistent with our intentions. Building trust requires nothing more than telling the truth. Cooperation doesn't mean agreement. It means working together to advance the greater good. With this in mind, as mentioned in a previous podcast, it's imperative for employers to screen their core values, which must be widely understood first, when conducting interviews with prospective employees. Searching for and employing individuals who possess these traits already is far easier than attempting to ingrain them. Next, let us discuss the social element of the workplace. Many bosses despise their workers chatting when they should be working. However, if this natural inclination is punished too often, their employees will simply seek out another. Why? Simply because we humans are social species. We thrive on it. We rely upon it. And it's the only reason we have lasted as long as we have. Sinek writes, We are a highly social species whose survival and ability to prosper depend on the help of others. Every single human on the planet, regardless of culture, is naturally inclined to cooperate. Our intelligence gives us ideas and instructions, but it is our ability to cooperate that actually helps us to get things done. Think back on those caveman days. Every day that you aren't eaten by a saber-toothed tiger is a blessing, as is every successful hunt, both of which are only possible due to power in numbers. The Spuns were victorious at the Battle of Thermopylae due to their ironclad defence manoeuvres and precise, targeted strikes through their defensive line. This precision was possible due to cooperation in their intensive training and on the battlefield. A warrior carries a helmet and breastplate for his own protection, but his shield for the safety of the whole line. Stephen Pressfield. As Snake writes, human beings have thrived for 50,000 years not because we are driven to serve ourselves, but because we are inspired to serve others. I find it pressing then that employers facilitate an environment of beneficial cooperation rather than conflicting competition. Individuals within their company should feel the same level of pride in witnessing a co-worker achieve their goals as when they achieve their own. They should feel warmth and satisfaction in reaching deadlines through teamwork and cohesion, rather than meeting a KPI in order to tick a box or prevent being fired. The staff must completely and wholeheartedly love the company, understand its why, and view their superiors as leaders rather than authoritative balloon knots. We, as human beings, have this universal yearning to cooperate and achieve as one. But that fades real quick if we think the bigwig at the top is a tosser. After all, as Sinek says, it's not the genius at the top giving directions that makes people great. It is the great people that make the guy at the top look like a genius. Lastly, a few bonus examples of what companies can do to improve performance and achievement. These are introduced by Simon in this book and may be beneficial for those seeking some quick and easy methods 
to boost task execution proficiency. First, Synex states that you should keep conference rooms free of cell phones, noting that, in time, they will start to feel improvements in the quality of relationships their people enjoy. Simon also writes that those in leadership positions should encourage note-taking on paper instead of computers, as those who take notes on paper are better at processing and retaining information. Writing develops a stronger conceptual understanding than typing, as writing notes makes it harder to take notes verbatim. The writer must then further process the information, writing their notes in a way that makes sense for them. This, of course, leads to the conceptualization of meaning. Sinek also states that companies should teach leadership. This is achieved through the implementation of a robust curriculum to include human skills like effective confrontation, active listening, and communication skills. Lastly, Sinek demands that leaders teach how to give and receive feedback through learning how to receive it, positive and negative, then knowing how to act on that feedback when it's offered. Well, that's it for this episode of Wilfred. What I learned from reading, Leaders Eat Last, Why Some Teams Pull Together and Others Don't by Simon Sinek, an educational discourse. I hope you enjoyed the episode. For those of you tuning in for the first time, I read and highlight a new finance or self-improvement book, write a script, record, and release a new episode of Wilfred all within one week. I focus on releasing a condensed yet detailed breakdown of the book so you don't have to read it yourself. You can get a fair summary of the book for free in the time it takes you to get to work. If you enjoy it and would like to give back, all that I ask is to rate the pod five stars and if you like, follow the podcast. This will ensure that you don't miss another episode of the pod and full disclosure will help me a bunch in growing my platform. My podcast is now available on all major streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Deezer. Well, you get it, basically all of them. Wherever you choose to consume this content, thanks so much for the support. I hope this is extended to my next one. Until next time, stay driven. Maybe we should improve our business model. No, no. Improve our original content? No, no.